almost every high school basketball player dreams of someday playing at the next level. College basketball in front of a national audience. Luke Lowy had that dream and made it a reality, playing for William and Mary and eventually the University of Minnesota Gophers. But then he gave up the court for a boat. Yep, Luke left college basketball behind to chase college bass fishing. That sport, his new dream. Luke's story today and a moment in time that almost ended those dreams. If you own a lake home or if you have a pond on your property, you need to call the Aquaside Company. Aquaside has been helping people maintain healthy lake shores and ponds for over 68 years. Aquaside products are easy to use and begin working right away. Aquaside is registered with both the Environmental Protection Agency and Department of Natural Resources. Don't let weeds overtake your lake or pond this summer. Call Aquaside today. They'll help you identify problematic weed types, assist with product selection, and calculate application rates. Aquaside will make sure lake fronts look great all summer long. You can call them at 1-800-328-9350 or go to Aquaside.com. Check with your state agency for local application guidelines. I'm Bill Shirk. I hunt. I fish. I camp, and I tell stories. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. Well, Luke, thanks for joining us today. It's funny, but when I tried to track you down, I found out you were working at Omnia Fishing just across the street from us. Um, how did you end up there? Yes, right down the road. First of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I ended up there just through, you know, I, I gained some connections in the fishing industry a little bit last year being at Minnesota and, um, you know, it's been a dream of mine to get into that, that, that industry and, you know, it kind of just fell in, into place and it's been awesome so far. I just, I've been working there for about a month now. Doing what sort of stuff? I do social content production and I manage your social media stuff and do a little film, uh, filming and editing and yeah, it's been good. All right, we're going to get to the fishing story, um, which is part of your life here in just a minute. But I kind of want to back up. I want to go back to your childhood and growing up. Wisconsin kid, did you play basketball growing up? Did you fish? What What was growing up like? Yep, so uh, I've always been, I love the outdoors. Um, I'm the oldest child in my family. I have a sister, younger sister, and then a younger brother, but. Um, growing up, I always hung out with my dad um, and my mom. I mean, in the outdoors, they're both, they love being outside. Um, but they were also very competitive athletes themselves and that they installed that in me early too. So I grew up being a three-sport athlete. I played basketball, baseball, football, pretty much year-round youth sports. Did you have a favorite or did you like all three? I liked all three, um, but basketball definitely was my favorite. Mm. Um, so yeah, those were a lot of fun. Uh, but at when we were not playing sports, I was always, you know, I would, I would tag along and go fishing with my dad. Um, I would hunt with him too a little bit um, when I got a little bit older. But um, we also had a cabin in northern Wisconsin up in Hiles where our family and extended family spent a lot of time in the summers. Um, and my dad has three other brothers, so there's four of them, and all of them were huge into fishing as well as my grandfather. So, you know, that's kind of just what our family did, and I love doing it when I was just a young kid fishing off the dock while well, they would be out on the boat. And then eventually I got to go um, and start fishing with them too. So 
Did the cabin feel like getting away to you? Yeah. I mean, I, I still love that place. Um, I've kind of expanded to obviously have fished a lot more places and the fishing's better elsewhere. Like we can go drive a few miles to find better lakes, but that lake, uh, Pine Lake in Hiles is, has a special place in my heart. And I, I grew up, I mean, it's a really good crappie fishing lake. So yeah. Um, catching pan fish and I mean, it's good bass lake too. So yeah, those places get into our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So you're dividing all your time. Obviously you have a very busy schedule growing up. At what point did basketball spark? Did, did you or the family say he's a special basketball player? Something's going to happen here. Yeah. I mean, when I was younger, I, I was, I would like to say, I mean, I like to say I was pretty competitive at every sport I played and I was pretty decent. I, I don't like to you know talk about myself a ton, but um, I was just really into all of them and I loved playing them. Um, but basketball, we had a really good youth team. My dad was my coach and we had a lot of success when I was younger and we won a lot of games. Um, and that was my favorite sport and I was, I was pretty good at it. So um, I, I knew I wanted to continue playing and I had dreams to, you know, I had, I mean, I had dreams in high school, you know, I wanted to play varsity early on. Um, and then I wanted to play in college. Um, and eventually AAU came into the picture, um, which is, if you don't know, is, a just, it's like summer basketball. So it's, you're basically playing year round then if you're playing your fall and winter season. Um, and then there's a traveling basketball with players that are not on your high school team. Usually it's just, you assemble kids from anywhere mm. to be on an AAU team. So I got into AAU at a young age too, and um, before I knew it, I was playing basketball pretty much all year round. Was there still time for fishing, or were sports taking over? They were starting to take over, um, but I still loved fishing and loved doing it. And there, there was definitely the time was definitely um, running lower on the the amount of time I was able to spend outside and just relaxing away from sports. So actually. I kind of what I think it was my I started playing AU when I was probably in fourth or fifth grade. So at that point, I was basketball year round. And when it comes to like recruiting for basketball, um, it's gotten wild. I mean, coaches and stuff can they start recruiting kids when they're in seventh, eighth grade before high school? Crazy. And you know, everyone who wants to make it to college to play thinks they gotta. I mean, devote all of their time to basketball and, you know, be at every camp, every tournament. And one thing that I did when I was growing up that I do not regret at all, and I'm so glad I did, is actually I had been playing AU. So I started in fourth grade, played for, I think, a couple of years. It was getting a little bit too much for me. I was kind of feeling a little burned out. Um, and I actually took off that summer of playing AU, uh, my seventh grade summer. It might've been seventh or it might even have been eighth grade, which was kind of like, whoa, like, why is he doing that kind of thing? Um, to a lot of people, because I know I was a talented player and everyone knew that I wanted to play in college, but I also just kind of needed a break. So, uh, I'm really glad I did that. I, I got the fish a ton. I think actually that was actually the summer I focused on some youth tournaments. I was in a youth club for bass fishing. Um, had some success in that. I actually won a state tournament in Wisconsin and then qualified for um, that world championship down in Louisiana. Went down there and actually ended up winning that one. 
Unbelievable. Yep. In the year that I decided not to play AAU basketball. So at that point, is your brain really confused? Are you trying to figure out what you love more? Um, I don't know. I guess at the time, winning that, um, that was really before social media. Um, so I just, I didn't necessarily know that that could have led me into a profession or a career into fishing potentially if I pursued it. But that was never really in my mind. I knew I wanted to play basketball in college and that was my thing. So that was, fishing was kind of on the side. Um, I just love to do it. So that was really a cool experience. Um, but yeah, that was the, that was, that was the year I took off of basketball in the summer and was able to do the whole fishing thing for that year. So that was, that was, that was a good time. How did you pick your college? William Um, and Mary. When I was getting recruited, uh, there was actually a lot of, I had a lot of coaches and colleges recruiting me from the East coast. Interesting enough. Um, and I, I had never really been away from home. So, uh, I, I was kind of unsure at first, but my mom and I, uh, actually went on a big recruiting East coast visit to a bunch of schools down the coast. And I had think I had like five or six visits lined up and William and Mary was not one of them hmm. and they were not even recruiting me really. Um, so we were, we were going down that list, uh, one of the assistant coaches there at the time, Coach Coach Holmes, uh, just texted me and said, hey, you should stop in uh, on our way down to, I think we were going down to North Carolina. And so we just stopped in on like a, I don't know, like a Thursday night at like 6 or 7 p.m. Went on a little visit. Uh, my host of the visit was actually Nathan Knight, who now plays for the Timberwolves, who was one of my teammates for two years. Um, one of the best, probably the best player that's ever played at William & Mary. Um, and then they offered me a scholarship that night and I didn't accept it right away, but it was cool. I really liked the campus. Um, and then I ended up playing that the rest of that summer, which was the July period, which in AAU, um, at the time, the July period was like the main time to get recruited. That was the open period for the coaches. You played in the biggest tournaments and like, that was the hot spot of time to, you know, for college coaches to reach out to players and get connected. So. Um, during that period, William and Mary was pretty much at every single one of my games. Uh, they had a coach, a different coach made sure that they were essentially watching me and, you know, I got to have a really good relationship with all the coaches. Um, I liked the area and it just, you know, I, that's a place that I wanted to be and it's kind of how I decided, I guess. Good for you. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And then there's this night in your life. What's the story? What's the timing? It was obviously something that profoundly changed you. Yeah, that was uh, that was wild. It's been a while now, so uh, you know I don't think about it as much. But that was definitely an event in my life that it obviously changed my life. But um, so I my senior year of high school, well, that summer, the summer before my senior year of high school, was when I committed to William and Mary in July. And our family had moved to Fond du Lac, so I, I was switching schools. And I was about to play my senior year at Fond du Lac High School, um, which was a bigger school, more competitive, had a really good conference. I think there was nine or ten Division One players in that conference Wow! my senior year, which for Wisconsin is pretty unheard of for any conference to be like that as far as the amount of talent. Um, the player of the year in that conference was actually Tyrese Halliburton, which is – he's – really good player in the NBA right now. So yeah. um, had a ton of talent. So I was really excited about that um, for my senior season. 
And actually, the night before um, our first scrimmage, uh, we were, we had a tournament. It was I think it was the the opening, uh, the eve of gun season for deer hunting. So like the sec second week of November or something. Um, yes, because that was the opening weekend, and I wasn't going to be able to go hunting because we had a scrimmage. I was going over to my buddy's house, and I got in a really really bad car accident and had to be flight for life to a hospital in Nina. And what know, happened? So it was at an intersection right by my house, like within a mile of my house. And I pulled up to a stop sign and stopped. And there was a really busy intersection, you know, uh, Highway 23 going through Fond du Lac. So cars were going 55 or 60. And I pulled out straight and a car T-boned me on the on my driver's side and basically pinned me up against a tree on the other side off the, and off the road. Um, and I was in a Toyota Tacoma. It was, it was actually my grandpa's truck uh, that I had been driving. And I got extremely lucky. I, well, I, it was a miracle for sure. Um, God definitely was looking out for me and it was a, it was a big time, uh, you know, that event in my life uh, just taught me so many things because, you know, coming out of it, I, I don't remember any of it, which is wild. I, mm. I remember pulling up to the stop sign and the next thing I remember is waking up in the hospital bed. And so I didn't feel any of that pain. Uh, I had a severe concussion. I guess the, the person who found me was actually a, a policeman driving by off off duty at the time in his truck and was able to help me. I don't know if he's, I mean, saved me. I don't know if I was in the condition for him to actually save me, but he was there right uh, at a perfect time and was able to get the helicopter there and took me there. And I had a uh, really bad concussion. I had two fractures in my skull. I lost, well, I ended up losing some hearing in my ear. I was like, I was bleeding out of my ear. I had uh, separated AC joint in my shoulder, I believe, and then some bruised bruising on my lungs. Um, but like my truck was completely destroyed and totaled except for where I was sitting, which was the miracle part of it. Um, nothing below my waist was affected, like my legs, nothing. I if I went like I could have walked away from it if it wasn't from everything else, like above the waist. So I mean, for being a college potential college basketball player, that was that was a miracle because I had nothing wrong with me there. Um, wow. And I had a ton of amazing support from my family and friends. Uh, and I ended up, I mean, obviously I was heartbroken and definitely affected because that was supposed to be my senior basketball. I was so excited and I was scared because I had just signed my letter of intent to go play in college and, the coaches at William and Mary were super supportive. They believed me. And I mean, you don't, you hear stories of, you know, stuff can happen and coaches can pull a scholarship or something, but they did not do that. They, they were behind me. And, um, I, uh, I was going to miss some basketball, but I, I still had a goal that I wanted to play in my senior season. So, you know, I, I was in the hospital for probably four days and, all I could think about was like, when can I get back to playing? Hmm. Uh, you know, talking to my, the nurses in the hospital or like the people who were helping me out, 
they weren't even sure that I was going to be playing really, or at least they said so. Like that was the last thing on their list of things to worry about for me. But for me, that was the one thing that was on my mind that I was worried about. And, uh, another miracle of the situation, I, I believe I ended up because, so what ended up being the thing that held me out the longest was obviously my severe concussion that I had my head trauma. And then, the two fractures in my skull, the fact that there was bone cracks in my head, um, was going to have me out for at least six weeks, the doctor said. Um, So I was planning on missing like four or five games before I could even technically be allowed to even try to play. Um, So in my mind, I was like, I got to try to play faster than that. (laughs) I was able to play within four weeks of that accident and only ended up missing two games, um, which was a miracle. And then, I mean, coming back from it, my, my, my trainer at Fond du Lac helped me. I mean, she was helping me every day. It was frustrating at, at times. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I probably lied to her a couple of times about how dizzy I was when I was trying to get back through protocol and out of concussion protocol because – you know, that was definitely scary and didn't want to risk anything, but I didn't care at the time. <laughs> it's that competitive spirit that's inside you. Yeah. And, you know, the, I mean, she said, like, it takes six weeks to heal your head. And I was like, well, if I feel fine and can pass the concussion protocol before that, <laughs> can I play? And the doctor said yes. My trainer was like, okay. So then in my mind, I, the six weeks was out of question. Like I wanted to be playing as soon as possible. So really it was just being able to pass the concussion test and get, get out of that protocol. So you played your senior year, played my senior year, had a, had a really good year, ended up being all state actually as a senior in Fond du Lac at a, in the, in the biggest conference in the state. So it was, it was, it was crazy. What a story. All right. We need to thank a couple of sponsors. But when we come back, I want to talk about college and then another big transition in your life. Sound like a plan? Sounds good. Awesome. Luke Lowy is our guest today. I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. And this is the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. You know, we have a bunch of sponsors that help us get to you every week. Up first, I'd like to thank, we have a bunch of sponsors that help us get to you every week. Up first, I want to thank our good friends at Connecticut. You know, right now, spring is so close. And that means we're going to be back at the cabin. And we're going to be fishing, skiing, doing all the fun stuff we love during summer months. And for the Shirk family, that means Connecticut water in the woods. Last summer, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin. And what a difference. For as long as I can remember, we've dealt with stinky, foul well water. But after a painless four-hour installation, we now have Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make that early morning coffee before going out topwater fishing. Instead, great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny, and Connecticut water cleaned up the showers and the dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you. And join the Connecticut family. Also, 
We want to give a shout out to the folks at the Minnesota Propane Association. Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. Luke Lowy is here today. You have this um, very profound childhood. You get scouted out to play a college sport. You love life outdoors at the cabin and fishing. You're in this um, life-changing accident that you come out of. You heal, and now you go off to college. Yep. I was, uh, I was off to William & Mary out in Virginia in Williamsburg, over 1,000 miles away from home. And, you know, I don't really remember what was running through my mind or why. I mean, I, I, I love the coaches out there, and... I didn't really know anyone out there. I was just a you know high school kid going out to play. Beautiful part of the comp- country. Oh, it's amazing. And I forgot to mention that. That is another reason. Like I, I'm not a big city guy. I don't yeah. love the city necessarily. And their campus is kind of, it's like its own little, you know, it's kind of out in the woods kind of thing a little bit. Um, and, the, and the city of Williamsburg seems like a smaller town to me. So that's another thing that I enjoyed. But yeah, I was headed out there to play and... I actually left uh, in the summer. We had summer workouts. Um, so I spent my summer there for the first summer, and, yeah, college was starting. Now, did you, while you were there, go to actual Williamsburg? Yep. In uh, So Colonial Williamsburg was our campus was the tip of Colonial Williams, Williamsburg, yep. Unbelievable. For for those who don't know about Williamsburg, I was lucky enough, All my a lot of my family is in Richmond and Alexandria, so we would take the spring trip and go to Williamsburg. It's a colonial town, and you go to the, you know, stables where the blacksmith is working, and the restaurants have the old school food, and troops are marching through town, and I loved it. Ate too many ginger snap cookies growing up there, but... <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, I love that area. It, I definitely miss it now, but it... It was a definitely a homely place. And you had four seasons there. I did. Yep. I played uh, all four years there and then graduated. Uh, and then that's how I got to Minnesota. So how did that work? Uh, y- you play four years of college. How do you still have eligibility? So my, uh, would have been my, the end of my junior season was right when COVID was picking up. And Actually, we got, we played the entire year, so that was 2019, and our conference tournament finished, and that was the year that they canceled the NCAA tournament. So we lost, so we wouldn't have made it anyways, but um, 
then the next year it was that was my senior year at William and Mary, and that was an odd season. We had no fans. We had to wear masks in practice. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you know played games in an empty gym. Um, had games being canceled. Uh, half the guys had to quarantine. The whole team had to quarantine. We were doing uh, workouts in the living room. You know, ball handling drills in the living room over a Zoom call with the coaches, which was nuts. Just now odd. thinking about so. Wow. The NCAA granted everyone an extra year of eligibility because of that COVID year. So I I played all four, so I never redshirted or got injured um, and then was granted that extra year of eligibility due to COVID. So, so why did you come to Minnesota? So I, I graduated from William & Mary, was ready to be done um, there, even though I know I definitely love that place. Um, but I was ready to kind of move on, move on, and was I wanted to be be a little closer to home, um, because my family had traveled across the country for four years to come watch me play. Hmm. Um, my sophomore year, I started dating my now fiance Paige Krause. Congratulations! Thank you. And so our entire relationship was long distance. Wow! So I wanted to be be able to come a little closer, have her come visit me a little more, watch her, watch me play. And, uh, you know, I wanted to play at the highest level possible. I had a good junior and senior season, had good stats to be able to um, improve the level of play. And uh, my assistant coach, who actually got hired my sophomore year at William & Mary, Coach Jason Kemp, um, also took a job at Minnesota while I was in the transfer portal trying to figure out where I was going to go. And that was a really tough time for me because, A, at the time I put my name in the portal, he was going to be staying there and he was really close to me. Um, so it was hard. Um, and then I was trying to figure out where to go. And then it, it kind of just timed itself out perfectly and lined up perfectly. Coach Johnson reached out to me um, at Minnesota. He just took, he just got the new job, um, offered me a spot on the team and a scholarship. And then at this, like a week later, actually at the time, uh, I had known that Coach Camp was also going to get hired. But before that was public knowledge, and so I was like, that's a no-brainer. I'm going there for sure. Good and then for you. he came with me. I mean, not as a package deal or anything really, but um, it just worked out perfectly because it was someone I knew in Minnesota then. I, he was one of my favorite coaches I've ever had, and he still is. And, you know, I wanted to play in the Big Ten. So I played college sport. I played in Wisconsin. So the whole Minnesota versus Wisconsin thing was just the opposite. So I'm just telling you how much I appreciate that somebody from Fond du Lac doesn't become a Badger and becomes a Gopher. Yeah, it's I mean, wonderful. I loved it. It was. I am not a Badgers fan. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> all right. So you have a season playing in the barn. Similar to your experience at William & Mary, different? Uh, it was way different, honestly. I mean, I would say my junior year, when, when we had a really good team at William & Mary, including Nathan Knight, which I talked about before, who's now playing in the NBA, we, we drew a bigger crowd, uh, but not even close to Big Ten crowds or, you know, ar arenas or atmospheres like there is in the Big Ten. The level of play was, I mean... Level of play in college basketball based on the levels is not super different. I mean, the, the Big Ten is obviously more athletic, bigger guys, stronger guys, so it's a little bit different. But, you know, I had played some high major teams at William & Mary and mm -hmm. felt 
pretty comfortable with that. So it wasn't a super big adjustment, but <clears throat> you know, playing playing in front of those crowds on the road though and in those arenas, that was that was a little different, especially because the year before we had no fans. So we were sure. playing basically a scrimmage every single game without any fans. And then you go to um minute you go to Indiana or Michigan State and it's just not a single empty seat. So yeah, amazing. It was a lot of fun. And so let's get to the point, kind of the topic, the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to meet you today, but you get through basketball and something in your head says, I've been missing out on one of my favorite things. Yep. So I'm actually going to backtrack a little bit in that. I obviously grew up fishing a ton, um, wanted to, I always had this question in my mind, people ask me it uh, about if I could fish in college or play basketball in college, what would I choose? And I mean, I loved watching college fishing. I loved following the tournaments. Um, every time they had a tournament, I was watching the live weigh in like after practice or something. Hmm. And so in my mind, having that extra year, I wanted to figure out a way if I could just fish in college for one spring after my basketball career was over. So when I was in Williamsburg, I also fished a ton. Like, and I'm going to go even further back. Like my first, this is, I'm backtracking a ton right now, but my freshman year and sophomore year at William & Mary were bad. Like I was struggling a ton. I was not acting like myself. I was kind of trying to be someone I wasn't. And I was struggling on the court, just struggling being away from home. Um, And my junior and senior season, I it's funny to me to say this, but I, I started fishing a ton and it correlated to how much better I started playing. Like it would, and my coach knew that too, because we also had a coach change between that after my sophomore year. So my new coach, he knew I love the fish and he was like, if you're going to start, if you're going to shoot like that, you're going to play like that, go fish go after fish. practice. So that was awesome. So, other people were saying it. Could you feel it? Could you feel a difference? You were fishing again and you just felt better. Oh yeah. And my numbers showed it like three point percentage my sophomore year. And you don't have to look up the numbers, but it was like probably in the low twenties or something. And then I shot like 44% from three my junior year. So it was a huge jump and I was playing a lot better on both ends of the, the floor and, and our team was winning. Uh, we had a good team that year, but but yeah, they they supported me. They they knew that that was my time away from everything with basketball because that took up so much time. You know, we had film, lifts, um, practices were two two and a half hours sometimes. So you know, on my off days, I was I was not even thinking about basketball. I was taking my little John boat in the back of my truck to some lake around Williamsburg, which were really really good, and just going to fish. So that's amazing. There was just an article circulating, I mean, in the last two weeks about the correlation between getting outdoors and it as therapy, right? Almost like an antidepressant. I'm not I'm not trying to say that's what was going on, but it's just interesting. That to me sounds like the outdoors was therapy for you. I would 100% say that, yep. And I took advantage of that. I mean, I never... I wasn't like skipping classes or anything. No, uh, but it's a weird time in life. Yeah, it was 
but I had a lot of free time because we had off days and there was a lake on campus that was stocked full of big crappies and bass and I would just go fish there all the time. Nobody fished <laughs> it but me and it was loaded with fish, so it was a ton of fun. Imagine what that's like for the students seeing the basketball star. Yeah. Just hanging I mean, out. And those, most of the students at William & Mary, like, it's an academic school, so there's not a lot of outdoorsmen out there. Uh, there's athletes and then there's students who's, who are going there for their education and I mean, obviously, athletes are as well, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's some smart kids there and there's there's not, there's not like outdoorsy people that I've been growing up with in Wisconsin, really. Yeah, there's not a deer hunting club at William & Mary. No, not at all. All right, so let's get back to the university. You want to fish your yep. senior year. Yep, so I looked into it. Uh, Minnesota had had a team um, in the past. with A college some, team. A college fishing team yeah. in the past that had guys that had a ton of success, which I actually work with one of them now, Trevor Lowe. He actually made it to the Bassmasters Classic, won the college bracket um, at Minnesota. So after, I think he, after he was done, the team had kind of gone under. Uh, they no longer had a team when I was there. Um, I don't know if it was partially because of COVID or just no one kept up with it. So um, going into the fall, starting my basketball season, in the back of my mind, I was also like, trying to figure out how I was going to start this fishing team, which I was doing at the same time as playing. Um, and we got a couple guys together, got some sponsors and figured it out and registered for a bunch of tournaments in spring and we're going to make it happen. So was I was playing my season, but also planning ahead, um, <laughs> which I was kind of nervous about at the time because I, I wanted, like obviously wanted to be focused on basketball because that's what I was there for. Um, and I don't think I was really distracted at all from worrying about the fishing just a little bit on the side, but there were some, there were some funny times. Like there was one time at Michigan state, uh, there was a deadline or there was a time where the college bass tournaments were going to open for registration. And I knew that you had to be on there and registering within like seconds in order to get a spot in the tournament. And I had a shoot around at like 10 in the morning at Michigan State. And I was like, I told my partner, like, you got to get on this and take care of this because I can't. So it ended up working out. And uh, yeah, I fished fished in college my, that's this last spring. All right. We need to thank a couple of sponsors. But when we come back, I want to talk more about what college fishing is like. Because I think some people know it exists, but don't quite understand that world. So I'll talk through it. Sounds good. And then I'm also going to bug you about a few of your favorite pieces of outdoor gear, too. We'll get to that in a second. What a fun podcast. You know, every week, Minnesota Mountain Podcast, we try to share the stories behind the stories. And it takes a lot of great sponsors uh, for us to communicate with you. Um, Up next, I'd like to talk about the Minnesota Historical Society. You know, right now, the Minnesota History Center is presenting Sherlock Holmes, the exhibition. You can step into Victorian London and explore the world of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's world-famous detective. Learn about the powers of observation, deduction, and science while solving an interactive mystery. Try the hands-on gadgets and experiments that are based on real forensics, and they make learning fun. See exactly how Sherlock influenced both real detectives and pop culture. Last chance, the exhibit closes soon. 
Learn more at mnhs.org slash SherlockMN. Also, we'd like to thank our friends at StarBank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for StarBank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own StarBank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call StarBank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at starbank.net. Remember FDIC and equal housing lender. All right. So, Luke, you wrap up just an incredible college career playing basketball, lucky enough to play at two different schools, great success at both, and then you transitioned to fishing your senior year. What is a college angler? Like, what's that world like? Well, it has definitely changed a lot. I mean, the college anglers now are extremely competitive. Um, They're essentially future pros, a lot of them. Um, There's kind of guys like myself who only were able to do it, you know, maybe a year or two. But then there's also guys that are like, that's their entire life. Like they're fishing year round. They go to school down in Alabama or some, uh, you know, Texas, and they have tournaments every weekend for the college tournaments. And they're also fishing in pro divisions. So, you know, it was a cool balance of, you know, elite, already elite college anglers fishing against, you know, people like me or even people, you know, that had some experience and then versus versus just a ton of experience so it was cool but um there was a ton of teams that were doing it from around the country but what's a day like for you you go to class uh with college fishing yeah and then like you go to whatever english literature and take your language class and then after school you go grab a boat and go someplace i mean how does how does that work um it's different for everyone for me at minnesota uh, i didn't fish a ton a lot of our tournaments were um, scheduled in different parts of the country, um, like when it was still freezing in Minnesota. So I had a boat at the time, and my partner did as well, a bass boat. And so we would basically just do our research and travel down and pre-fish for a tur- one of the big college tournaments and then kind of come back. Uh, I mean, after I graduated, I actually went back to Wisconsin for a lot of the season and was fishing around the area there in between college tournaments um so that would kind of be your practice yeah so so to yeah speak. we usually the well a lot of the events we we didn't do a lot of club events just like locals fishing stuff for our team most of them were um national tournaments that we registered for so we were traveling i mean we traveled to table rock lake out to saginaw bay in michigan um where else did we go we uh let's see Sag Bay. That's a tough place when the wind's blowing. Oh my. Uh, I, I will talk about that one because that is exactly what happened to us. And we, when we got, it was a two day tournament. We got down there, practiced for like a couple days. The conditions were nice. We went all the way out into the bay, like out to the, there's an island out there. If you can get to the island in Sag Bay, the cliche is if you can get out to the island, you're going to catch big bass. That's what we thought. That is, (laughs) I mean, we're we didn't know a ton our i mean we figured that smallmouth were going to win that tournament so we were like okay let's get out there and see if we can find them right 
we had nothing to lose. Like we wanted to qualify for nationals and see what we can do. So in practice, we ventured out there, got out to the island, and one of the days we were out there, and it's just slick calm. So, I mean, you could just run out there in five minutes from a launch. And we found some fish out there. The smallmouth were starting to spawn. Marked about four fish. We had four smallmouth on beds that were for sure, they were good ones. And we knew that there was big fish in the area. Like, the whole thing was like, someone's probably going to win the tournament from out in that area. So we were going to go like we were set on it. So the day of the tournament, we first day of the tournament, we ran out there. It's like 32 or 34 miles from, from the Saginaw River. And it was already kind of choppy. We got out there and there was a bunch of boats out there. We pulled up to our, uh, our spawning fish there on beds and somehow they were all there. So we caught the four fish that we had marked and we thought for sure someone else would have found them, but we caught them. We had four fish and, and then we were just, we had to look for new ones because that's all we had marked. So we started fishing around. There was other people there and people started leaving. And then before we knew it, like most boats had left. And I mean, they were the smart ones because the wind started picking up. And like we were trying to get that fifth fish and we were going to go. We ended up not, we're not catching it, but we were like, we got to get out of here because it, it started rolling <laughs> and we were stuck 32 miles out there. And the ride back was just terrible. Like it took us two and a half hours to get back. So we had literally no time to fish anywhere back, try to get that fifth keeper. We had to make it in. We got in on time, but I mean, I feel so bad for my partner's boat. Like his wrap got ripped off and stuff was coming loose. And I mean, it was not ideal. So we went in with four fish um, and we were kind of disappointed and, you know, to finish out the story, we, the next day we're like, we're not doing that again. Cause it was, the weather was actually supposed to be nice, but that ride, we're just, we didn't really have anything else out there anyway. So we were not going out there. So then we went up staying in Saginaw River and trying to catch smallmouth. And it was ridiculous. Like, or not smallmouth, catch largemouth. Largemouth. And it was yeah. absurd. We, we, we honestly probably caught over a hundred bass. And the last hour and a half of the tournament, we were power pulled in one spot for an hour and a half making literally the same cast and caught a fish. We were catching fish the entire time and we ended up weighing in like 18 and a half pounds of largemouth, and just kicking ourselves. Cause we should have just done that the whole time. And we, we didn't really know any better. I'm not a competitive fisherman. I don't know the game like you do, but I've been asked about sag bay and that's always the advice that I was taught there is unless you are sure you can get out and find those smallies and the weather's going to be your friend, stay in the river, get in the marinas, catch the largemouth. That was the best largemouth fishing I've ever had in my life. That's and awesome. the, sure enough, the tournament was won with smallmouth. The first, top two teams had smallmouth, but I mean, there was probably five or six teams in the top 10 that qualified for nationals with those largemouth. And there was big largemouth, like guys had 20 pound bags. And there was just a ridiculous number of them in the river. It was so much fun. So now you're graduated. You're working. As you look back, college fishing or college basketball? Hmm. If I was going to pick college fishing, I would want to do it the whole time and just be dedicated to it to try to gain more experience and just be, you know, at every event in in order to compete, give myself time to pre-fish and, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would 
college fishing. If I had two lives, though, I would do one of each, probably. Well, the second half starts now, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, you get to fish for a long, long time. Yeah. Now. Yep. That's the nice thing about fishing. You can do it the rest of your life. What are your goals? What are you, are you, what's your plan? Yeah, I mean, I, so that, this last spring, I fished a ton this, this past summer. I know I had a couple part-time jobs, but I I signed up for as many terms as I could really because I that was the first summer ever that I had off. You know, every every year in college we we had summer workouts, so I never really had a summer off. So I fished as many tournaments as I possibly could. Did okay in some and got my teeth kicked in in a bunch of them. So um, that's not exactly cheap either. <laughs> so yeah. I knew I needed to uh, you know focus on you know getting a job and start working and that's kind of you know what i'm doing now i'm also getting married in uh not this summer but the next summer so i'm focusing on getting ready for that and saving up some money so i'm not fishing as much this summer but well just wait yeah <laughs> just wait i i can imagine yeah but, but yeah i my goal was always after uh my basketball career was to get into the fishing industry and now i'm at omnia and it's been great so far so yeah, talk about Omnia I, uh, a little bit. What do they do? Yeah, so Omnia is an e-commerce, uh, you know, local and national, you know, tackle company. Um, and what I do for them is, you know, help with marketing and stuff. But we supply fishing gear and tackle anywhere throughout the country. We have, you know, re- we're known for our fast shipping, same-day shipping when you order, um, which is really nice. A lot of people love that. And you can also file fishing reports at Omnia. And then, uh, which allows you to shop by lake. Um, so you can go, you know, if you're going to Table Rock, you can search that on our site and there'll be a bunch of fishing reports of, of past reports with baits connected to them that are best for Table Rock. So that's a great feature at Omnia and, you know, I love it so far. It's a, it's a startup um, and we're still growing, but I know we're doing really well in e-commerce right now. So, Well, what a story you've got and... It's going to be fun to watch you in the coming years and see where you go. It's, do you think basketball will somehow be on the radar too, maybe as a coach? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, so after Minnesota, you know, I I had goals there, obviously. Um, I wanted to score 1,000 points, and I was able to accomplish that goal in college. And I was happy with how my – I mean, our team didn't have – a ton of success, which kind of stunk, but my career as a whole, I was, you know, I was happy that I spent my last year at Minnesota and I was kind of ready to be done. And I haven't really looked back a ton. I haven't been playing basketball a ton and that's been okay with me. I don't, I don't miss that aspect. Uh, but it was, I had a lot of stress in basketball with just the nerve and intense environments that I played in and stuff like that. So kind of relaxing more has been okay, but I can imagine, um, in the future, I definitely, you know, if I have a son, I I don't see anyone coaching him probably besides me. Then I'll, that's probably when I'll get back into getting intense in basketball. So, mm-hmm. but if you have a daughter, it'll be even worse. Holy cow. <laughs> I'll, probably try, I'll probably be your coach too if she wants to play. As a youth coach, oh my gosh. Yep. The girls are intense. All right. Before you go, I've got two questions to ask you, and it's kind of something I've started. These are questions I ask all the guests. Um, one outdoor moment, one thing that just sticks in your mind, a moment outdoors that changed you. 
a hunting moment, a big fish, a bonding moment? What is it for you? Uh, I have, I have, I have a couple. They're quick. Um, my first tournament I ever fished with my dad on Lake Winnebago when I was young, man, I was probably 10 years old. Um, and we, we ended up winning. It was a, it was a team. It wasn't even a father son. Like we were fishing against grown adults. I'm pretty sure. I don't even remember, but we had almost like 19 pounds of largemouth on Lake Winnebago, which is pretty good. And we ended up winning the tournament and that stuck with me. That's kind of how I got hooked on tournament fishing. And then the other one I would say is, uh, fishing with my dad in on Table Rock Lake. That's kind of been a lake that our family has vacationed to. And, uh, I was the net man for his biggest fish ever, an eight-pounder he caught one day out there. So that was pretty cool. That was a cool bonding moment. You and your dad. Awesome. Awesome memory. All right, the second question. I don't know. Maybe we know the answer to this. One piece of outdoor gear. Do you have one thing that is your favorite piece of outdoor gear that just means more to you than... Anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, probably just a fishing rod, you know, a rod and reel combo that I, I mean, I, I grew up in Wisconsin fishing smallmouth a ton. I love fishing for smallmouth. So does that count? Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 Probably. Is there a specific rod or a specific reel? Um, not necessarily. There are just too many yeah, to count. Not, I don't have any deals with anyone. So if, if I did, if I'd you... probably shout them out, but. <laughs> no, but. As long as you've got, is it a baitcaster or a spin for you? Uh, depends how you're yeah, fishing. Yeah, I mean, depends. I, I love throwing like a swim jig for, I, I know I mentioned how I grew up fishing a smallmouth, but also fish a lot of smallmouth or largemouth. And throwing a swim jig is probably my go-to. So that's my favorite thing to do, probably. Awesome. Well, maybe someday we'll get to do that together. You can teach Absolutely, me. yeah. Luke, thanks so much. What a story. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. So that about does it for the Minnesota Bound Podcast. The stories behind the stories brought to you by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, Star Bank, the Minnesota Historical Society, Rudy Luther Toyota, the Minnesota Propane Association, and Aquaside. Until next week, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.